The scripture would come from John 9, 1 through 41, but I'm only reading 1st through the 11th chapter, okay? <laughs> Just so you know. As he walked along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned. He was born blind so that God's works might be revealed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me, who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said this, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva and spread the mud on the man's eyes, saying to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. Then he went and washed and came back again, able to see. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar began to ask, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some were saying, it is he. Others were saying, no, but it is someone like him. He kept saying, I am he. But they kept asking him, then how were your eyes open? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud, spread it on my eyes and said to me, go to Shalom and wash. Then I went and washed and received my sight. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Amen. You may be seated. The months of February and March are a special time in the Smith family. Um, February 23rd is Stephanie's birthday, and that kicks off birthday season for three quarters of our family. That concludes on the 26th. Um, with Addie's birthday, but today on the 19th is Lily, Grace, Lily Grace's birthday, and um, one of the amazing things that happens um, on birthdays is that you get this little pop-up on Facebook. Do you know the pop-up I'm talking about that says, uh, your memories on this day, um, or your memories with Lily Grace? And so I get, every, every birthday I get the chance to look back on pictures, and the thing that strikes me again and again and again is how much change happens over time. I mean, this morning, the first picture I saw was Stephanie holding um, a, a newborn Lily Grace. What an incredible picture. And then a, a few photos later was Lily Grace in her angry face at, at, uh, at Walt Disney World at lunch one day. It was hilarious. One of my favorite photos of her in her angry face. A few photos later was, was her dressed up for her first day of school and then uh, one from just a, a few days back where um, she was uh, dressed out for the 80s day that was happening at, at Julia P. I tell you all that to say it's amazing the changes that happen over time, right? Lily Grace is not that infant that I knew um, the first day she came into this world a decade ago. She's a whole nother person and because I've spent time with her, I've gotten to see her grow and mature and change. I relate to her differently now than I did when she was just a child and I was just a new parent trying to figure things out with Stephanie. That's the way life is. Two years ago, I had short hair, a buzz cut, and now I've matured into a Q-tip, right? <laughs> yeah. 
things change over time. Our relationships with people, our relationship with ourselves, and our relationship with Jesus changes over time. We grow deeper in our relationship with him as we study the scriptures, as we spend time in prayer. Because life's like that. Relationships change. Our understanding of who Jesus is changes too, and it should. And that's part of what we're going to be reading about this morning in our text from John chapter 9. Um, as Regina said, it's verses 1 to 41, um, but I thought I would take the bulk of the reading so that we don't lose a lay liturgist, um, <laughs> since she read most of John chapter 4 last week. Uh, we are thankful for you and your ministry, uh, Miss Regina, and um, I encourage you to open your Bibles, uh, follow along in John chapter 9, beginning at verse 1. I want to go back and, and walk through this story with you of Jesus' power. It says there, As he went along, that's Jesus, he saw a man blind from birth. Now, I want you to pause right there. Verse 1, major things are being said. Jesus is going from one place to another, and as he goes, he sees a man blind from birth. Now, a man who was blind from birth probably sat out by the city gate. He either lived there or he was put out there day after day to beg for food and whatever he could get. And most of the time, people just walked by. Never happens today, right? We never just drive by and not see the people standing on the corner at Walmart or over by Food Lion or over by Ollie's. Jesus, though, he doesn't just pass by. He sees this man who was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, because this prompts a theological controversy. <clears throat> Excuse me. Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Who sinned? Whose fault is it that this man is the way that he is? There's some dangerous theology in there, I think. So Jesus responds, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground and made some mud with the saliva and he put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. Our text begins with a miracle that prompts a theological controversy. Jesus and his disciples are walking down the road when they come upon the blind man. And the question is, who sinned, him or his parents? Now, that seems like an innocent question, but if you really dig down into the question, you understand where the disciples are coming from and what their mindset is. These disciples are really doing something that's theologically dangerous. They're attributing their physical, emotional, and economic well-being to their own right standing before God. In other words, they're operating under the premise that God rewards the righteous and punishes sinners. And since they're not stressed, they must be blessed. I'm glad we've moved on from that. That we don't look at the world that way. In the minds of the disciples, they believe that if you're struggling, it must be sin. 
If you're sick, it must be sin. If you're only living paycheck to paycheck, it must be sin that's holding you back. Anybody heard that sermon before? The problem is, with that line of, that, with that line of thinking is that it's not always true. Have you read Job lately? There are lots of people who struggle in spite of the fact that they've committed them whole, their whole selves to God, that they, even though they've committed their whole life to God. In fact, Jesus even tells his disciples to expect to be persecuted, expect to struggle, expect to go through hard times. For if the Son of Man doesn't have a place to lay his head, why should we expect to have one either? So Jesus He confronts his disciples thinking when he tells them that neither this man nor his parents caused him to be blind. It wasn't their sin or his sin that caused this condition. It's the brokenness of this world that we live in, friends. When Adam and Eve Eve ate of the apple in the garden, sin entered into the human story and corrupted everything. It's no one's fault. This man is born blind. It's a consequence of sin passed through the human condition. It's a very part of who we are. It's not this man nor his parents that caused him to be blind. That's just how the chaos of sin has interrupted his story. But at first glance, you would think, just like the disciples, somebody must have done it. But here's the thing, God's purpose is often much deeper than what we may see in the present. Suffering, friends, isn't a sign of sin. And to be honest with you, suffering can often be used as an opportunity for God to demonstrate God's own power in our lives. In the case of this man who's born blind, God's purpose was for his work to be displayed in this man's life. Well, what does that mean? Well, when we display something, we put it out to show. Any of you guys collect Elvis plates? Me neither, but there must be a market, right? Because growing up, all I can remember on QVC was you could get your Elvis plates to hang on the wall, right? And show off to your friends. You put them on display so people can see, you know, I don't know, (laughs) with the Elvis plates. But Jesus says, no one sinned to cause this to be, but God's power is going to be displayed through the life of of this man, and I think it's important to underline that word, the life of this man, not one moment in this man's life, but in the life of this man. And from this point on in the story, we're dealing with people's reactions to a life that is changed, a life that is transformed, a life that is renewed by the presence of Jesus. Take a look at the neighbors. In verse 8, it says, His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, No, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes opened? They asked. He replied, The man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes, and he told me to go to Siloam and to wash. So I went and I washed and Then I could see, well, where is this man? They asked him. I don't know, he said. The blind man's neighbors react to the change they see in the man's life in two ways. First with surprise. Are are, are you sure that's the man who was born blind? Maybe not. And then secondly, with skepticism. 
They're surprised that this could be the man, and they're skeptical that this actually is the man. They don't even believe that he's the same person because of the profound change made in the life of this man who was once blind. Perhaps it's because all they ever knew of this man was that he was the one who was born blind, and he sat there on the side of the road. His condition had conditioned the people around him to only recognize him, recognize him based on his brokenness. Man, how often do I do that? How often do I only recognize people based on their brokenness and not the promise that is within them? Regardless of why the people don't recognize the man, there is this truth that bubbles to the surface. When Jesus' life intersects your life, things are changed. When Jesus' life intersects your life, things are changed. And when that change is dynamic, when that change rearranges your life and your priorities, people are going to have questions. I mean, is that, is that Jonathan? Didn't he used to? Wasn't he the one who... No, that can't be him. That can't be him. This is the point that Jesus was trying to make to Nicodemus, who we talked about just a few weeks ago, that when we accept new life in Christ, everything changes. For this man, that meant that he went from being blind to having sight. Others of us will have to walk away from the way that we used to live. We may have to change our careers or stop giving in to destructive habits. And when we do, when we make those changes in our hearts and in our lives by the power of God in us, people have questions and they're skeptical. People have questions. I remember when I first gave my life to Christ, I was a church attender for the first 18 or so years of my life and around 18, 19 years old, I got serious about my relationship with Jesus and things started to change and my friends responded with surprise and skepticism and a number of them even asked if, if I thought that this one would stick. Yeah, that's funny now because I'm a preacher, right? But skepticism at one point almost undid my relationship with Jesus. But we can't let people surprise and we can't let people's skepticism get in the way of our faithfulness, which we so often do. You can't be him. You can't be her. I remember when I saw you there. I remember when you used to hang out with those people. I remember the way that you used to talk and cuss and swear and, yeah. We can't let people's surprise and people's skepticism get in the way of our faithfulness. Let's look at verse 13. They, that means the man's neighbors, brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, how can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. They were not of one mind. Then they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes that he opened. The man replied, he is a prophet. Now hold on right there. 
That is a powerful statement, friends. He is a prophet. Do you see what just happened? The first time this man is questioned about who Jesus is, he says, uh, Jesus is just a man, spit in the mud, put the mud on my eyes, went to Siloam, washed, and now I can see. He was just a man. Now he's, he's matured a little bit in his response, and he says, uh, Jesus is a, is a prophet. He's a prophet. His, his relationship with Jesus is changing. It's growing, friends. It's maturing even in just some small ways. When the man's neighbors and friends responded with shock and skepticism, the Pharisees respond with utter disbelief. Their self-righteousness had caused them to put God in a box to say that God can only work in certain ways and on certain days and only heal certain people. They believe that there are some things that God just won't do, one of which is healing a sinner. And a blind man must be a sinner, right? The Pharisees believed, just like the disciples, that their prosperity demonstrated their righteousness before God. But it's their self-righteousness that also made them blind to just who it was that healed the blind man. Jesus couldn't have been the Son of God since he was healing on the Sabbath, according to the Pharisees. And ultimately, these Pharisees, they choose not to believe Look back at verse 18. They still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. So now we've gone from an interview with the man who was once blind to an interview uh, with the Pharisees, and now the Pharisees are bringing in the parents, and they ask the man's parents, is this your son? Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it now that he can see? And they say, we know that he's our son, And we know that he was born blind, but how he can see or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Why don't you you ask him? He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had already decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. Skepticism and surprise will always stand in the way of faithfulness. That's why the parents said, he's of age, ask him. In other words, don't ask us. This man's parents may have believed, but they were quiet because of what others might think about them. What others might do in response to their faithfulness. A second time, they summoned the man who was born blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth. We know this man is a sinner. He replied, whether he, that's Jesus, is a sinner or not, I don't know. The one thing I do know is I was blind, but now I see. He answered, I've already told you, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? That's okay to laugh at that because that's funny, right? This is the man born blind telling the Pharisees, do you want to become his disciples too? The man's relationship has shifted again, hasn't it? Jesus has gone from being a man to being a prophet, and now this man's talking about being Jesus' disciple. He's talking about being one who follows Jesus' teachings and Jesus' way of life, who's in a relationship with Jesus. Do you want to be his disciples too? And then they hurled insults at him and said, you are this fellow's disciples, and we're disciples of Moses. 
We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, this Jesus, we don't know where he comes from. The man answered, now that's remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody ever has heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. You were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out because they could not believe that God could rescue a sinner like him, that God could transform a sinner like him. Verse 35, Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And Jesus begins the process of searching for this man. He heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? And he said, who is he, sir? Tell me so that I may believe in him. And Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking to you. And the man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Don't miss the fact that Jesus says, you have now seen him. You have now seen him. Jesus gave him the power and the ability to be able to see again and stands before him, not just as his healer, but as his savior. And soon the Lord of his life, his relationship with Jesus changes and matures over time. And the man says, Lord, I believe. And he falls down in worship. And then Jesus responds with these words. I came into this world for judgment so that those who do not see may see. And that those who do see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard this and said to him, Surely we're not blind, are we? Hmm. Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would not have sin. But now that you say we see, your sin remains. Friends, to know means to be sure, to understand, to be aware of, to behold. Knowing is a word for certainty. The longer this man, this man once blind, experienced new life and healing through Jesus, the more he told his story. And the more he told his story, the more confident he became in the one who had healed him so that he puts his whole life in his hands. This man had a growing faith. Watch the progression in verses 1 to 12. Jesus is just the guy who healed him. In verse 17, he calls Jesus a prophet. And then he progressed to saying, Lord, I believe, in verse 38. And he worshiped Jesus. And in an ironic twist, all of those who have sight are blind to God's work in this man's life. And the one who is without sight is the one who truly sees. I think this text is telling us that the more we know Jesus Christ, the greater he becomes to us, and the greater he becomes in us. It's telling us that we need to have more than just a miracle happen at one moment in our life where we feel convicted for our sins and offer our lives to Christ. No, it says our relationship with Jesus must grow. Daily it should change. It should expand. It should deepen over time. Think about it. The man who was healed could have spent the rest of his life just being the guy who Jesus healed. 
But if he had, he would have missed the point of Jesus' miracle in the first place. Jesus wasn't as much concerned with this man's sight as he was the salvation of this man's soul. That means that Jesus was willing to see him, to heal him, not just so that he could see, but so that he could have abundant life in him and through him. Friends, the power of God is not just about signs and wonders, but the transformation of lives and ultimately the world. Has God done something amazing in your life? Have you walked away from sin? Have you walked away from a past that has haunted you? Have you been healed or forgiven or delivered from something that was holding you back in life or in faith? If that's you, then you need to do what this man in the story did. And that is to tell your story. Because as you tell your story of how Jesus met you and healed you and transformed you, what you will find is a new confidence in your faith. You'll find a new confidence in who God is crafting and creating you to be. You'll find a new confidence in your relationship with him. Because God is not just interested in saving you from sin once, but saving you for an eternity with him, that you might live abundant life in the presence. Don't just have a faith that shows, friends. Have a faith that grows as you relate to the one who saved you. Jesus is the one who has come to heal us all. He's the one who's come to transform our lives. The question is, will we acknowledge him for who he is that we might experience new life? Or are we content to remain blind like the Pharisees who can't believe that God would ever reach out to the sinful and the broken? The choice, friends, is ours. Would you pray with me? Lord, we were all once blind, but by your power and presence, by your story intervening in our story, we can now see. We can see the ways that you have been drawing us by your grace into a relationship with you. We can see the ways, Lord, that your grace has saved us through faith and the ways that you are calling us to new life in you. We thank you for the forgiveness of sin, Lord, and we thank you for the new creation. We thank you, God, for the journey of sanctification that leads us to holiness of heart and life. Lord Jesus, transform us as we put our trust in you that our lives might be offered to you and to your kingdom. Lord, give us eyes to see. Give us ears to hear. Give us hands to bring healing and hearts that choose to love you and our neighbors. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.